Jesus today summons his disciples saying, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And those words just wake me up. They just resonate so deeply within me and, and shatter the illusions that I, I live in. But to get at why that is, I, I want to just offer that when Jesus says deny yourself, I think it's fair to say that we are not a culture that leans into self-denial, right? So if you have a culture over here that's more like into self-denial and one over here that's more into self-fulfillment, how many of you think we're a culture that emphasizes self-denial, right? We're not. But this, this has changed. I mean, I think about three generations ago when the president said, leaning and appealing to duty, said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. By the time I was in high school, the Army recruiting slogan no longer was about duty or country. It was, be all that you can be. Join the Army. The most sort of influential book of the 21st century for Christians was a book called The Cost of Discipleship. The most popular book of the 21st century so far has been Your Best Life Now. You see where this, this is moving, this pendulum is swinging? And so we all kind of live and, and breathe in the waters that, again, don't emphasize self-denial, but emphasize self-fulfillment, if not even self-indulgence. And, and the problem, of course, is, is that uh, self-fulfillment isn't actually fulfilling. And, and that the way of just kind of consuming our way into happiness is not a path, but a trap that provides neither the freedom nor the fulfillment that it promises. It, it can't deliver on, on the goods. And so most of us, I think, have this gnawing sense, knowing that there's something, something deeper, something besides ourselves in this universe that matters. And so when Jesus comes along and says, deny yourself, get over yourself, sacrifice, Sacrifice for something greater. Be a part of something that is bigger than yourself. There's something that awakens inside of me and yearns to do that. You see, a world, a world that's about self-indulgence needs no heroes. Because if the world is simply about eating and drinking and being married, then all we really need are some pals to do so. Like, it, it's the world of the Lion King where all Simba needs is the warthog and the meerkat, right? Pumbaa and Timon, because all they have to tell him is Akuna Matata, just kind of go with it. But then there's this other voice, this voice of Nala, who comes back and says, get over yourself, pick up your cross, deal with your past, and take up your duty in the pride land. Again, a world that is about self-indulgence needs no heroes, but if, as Jesus says, there's a call to get over ourselves, if there, yes, indeed, is a, is a call to sacrifice, then, then heroes, and we live again in a heroic age, and so something is awakened in me, stirred, and, and curious what this might mean, hungry to give myself over to something greater than myself, and wondering who dares amid the voices that tell me just to please myself, that dares to say, get over yourself, and that is the voice of none other than Jesus Christ. And what gives him the authority to say this, of course, is that he himself has been the hero. He himself lays down his life for us. I want to reflect with you today on what it might look like for us to deny ourselves and pick up our cross. 
because I don't think it's about having uh, superpower heroes or getting inundated with gamma radiation or something. No, I think it's a lot more what, what St. Paul writes here about rejoicing in hope, being patient in suffering, and persevering in prayer. And so I want to share with you some people that I consider to be heroic that are bearing the cross. The first is I, I had a neighbor when we lived in the northern part of Lebanon County. We shared a mutual backyard and, you know, we kind of talk across our decks. And uh, we weren't especially close, but I do remember at one point learning from uh, their daughters who had just gone to some church activity, F-R-O-G, frog, fully rely on God. And, you know, we kind of, again, neighbors. But I didn't realize how prophetic that uh, fully rely on God would be. Well, we move away. We lose contact again. We weren't that close. But I then heard through the grapevine that their family exploded. Uh, there were you know, multiple affairs, all sorts of crazy stuff, and both, uh, both parents became addicted to meth, and everything just uh, fell apart. And that uh, obviously broke my heart. I thought about the kids in, and, and uh, the couple, and just really was sad about it. But then this man kind of wove back into my life because I was started to follow him on Facebook as he's in his journey of recovery. And he's at the stage now where he's, he's been through rehab, he's in a halfway home, and the, the state has come to him and said, your ex-wife can no longer take care of your son. He's a high schooler. But we're going to have to put him in foster care unless you can find a place to live with him. And so here's this man desperately trying to get his life back together. And he's got this task now trying to find housing. And, and it's, a, it's a huge burden because he's, he's facing challenges I can't imagine. He's got his, his past, which is just lingering so large. And there's so many communities where he doesn't want to live because he, he really wants to avoid the people, place, and things that trapped him before. At the same time, he's facing just this, what we all know, the, the rising housing costs in so many communities. On top of all that, the fact that social services are so lean for, for men and their homeless children. And so he's just sort of fighting all of this, and the temptation is always there to go back to the drugs. And, and I just, I, it inspires me to see him every day now fight this fight that is just so hard. And that cross he carries is, is so heavy, but he's, he's realizing through it all that this cross is, is one that is bigger than him. And he is, in a way that is profound, fully relying on God. He's been stripped of all the illusions. And so there he is. And so that man is gone again from a, from a neighbor now to somebody who I see as heroic as he struggles. Well, today my daughter and I, after worship, are going to share about our time in Tanzania. And the Swansons, uh, whom we visited, uh, they're a medical doctor and nurse that a decade ago went over there. And uh, they, they heard this call of Christ to, to leave their sort of uh, their, their practice and what they were doing in, in Minnesota. And when they went to these two NICUs in Tanzania, the, the first year they were there, they had 200 babies die. That means every other day they witnessed a, a child die. And it was just crushing. I, I, can't, I can't imagine what, what that did. And what was so punishing for the Swansons was the realization that over 90% of these babies, had they been born in the United States, would have lived. But it was a combination of so many factors. And so they just began to chip away, chip away, chip away. And they made unbelievable progress. So that eight years later, fewer than 20 babies in their NICU die a year. 
And they were beginning to train and, and multiply their ministry far beyond this one, this really these two hospitals. But then for, for reasons that had nothing to do with them, totally out of their control, it's basically been taken away from them. And there's such, such a lament there that I had. And so they know now that whatever choice that they face, there's going to be heartache and loss and risk. And so I, I went with them to be with them, to listen to them, and to hand over the promise that, that although this is a big cross that they're having to bear, that they're not bearing it alone, that there are others who are walking with them, and that most importantly, the truly broad shoulders in this universe are never ours, but, but Christ and Christ alone, and he is there with them. So the Swansons continue to inspire me and really are heroes to me. This last week, I got a call that there was a, a man who had been put in hospice at the very uh, end of his life for comfort care. So I went and I visited, and I was with the, the wife and the husband uh, in, this, in the hospital room. And I saw the wife lean over, and they had their embrace. Um, and it just brought me back to so many times as a pastor, I've been in this room. I've been in the room with, with uh, two spouses where one is dying. And I think about the, the courage that it takes to say goodbye to a, a loved one. And later the, the wife was with her family, but not with her husband. And she said, you know, I'm really overwhelmed. It's gonna, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I wish that I could have said, oh, it's, it's not that bad. You'll, you'll be fine. But that would have been a lie. And I've, I've just seen the struggle that this is. The promise is that the two become one. And, when one is severed, this is so hard. I mean, it's, it's little stuff, too. Like, I don't know where the scissors are in my house, but I know that my wife knows where they are, right? I mean, it's little stuff. It's very disorienting for people. And, and it just brought to mind how many widows and widowers I've met in my ministry over the years. People who had to figure out life all over again, really with almost half their brain gone. And what has struck me is how many of them have have really chosen with the last chapter of their life to exchange that romantic love, that romantic heart for a servant's heart, and have just given the last days of their life then to serving other people, especially in need. And, and again and again, and I, I could name so many of you, but I, I won't embarrass you, but just so many of you who have followed the path of being a widow or a widower, you are heroic to me as you bear your cross and, uh, and follow Jesus. I wanted to give these examples of, of what it might look like because, again, I think this, this notion is so sort of foreign in our culture. And maybe for some of you, as I've shared today, you said, wow, you know what, I actually, I actually feel like I am bearing a cross right now. And there's, there's a weight that is just so overwhelming to me where I feel like I, I am giving something up and, I, and I, I just it's too much. Well, if that's where you are, hear, hear the word of promise that Christ tells us to pick up our cross, but he never tells us to bear it alone, and that ultimately he's the one who gives us others and finally his broad shoulders to carry that cross. But if for some of you, you're like, you know, something is, something has, uh, is awakened me now, and, and I do, I do want this, this life that isn't simply about me and consumption and myself and this vain search for self-fulfillment, like I, there's something greater that, that, that's calling me. What does this look like? What does this look like? Well, Again, if anybody ever tells you all you need to do to follow Jesus is this list of two or three things, know that they're selling you something. They're not talking about discipleship in Jesus. Because following the cross is hard. 
It's often a process of discernment to figure out what that looks like. But I think St. Paul points us in the direction today when he's talking about letting love be genuine. Letting the do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with the good. And the verse that I'd especially like to draw your attention to is rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Because I think if each day we say, okay, today I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life, but, but if we really look for somebody who's rejoicing and try to figure out why that we can rejoice with them or search out and, and walk with people who are weeping and walk with them enough and listen enough and help them enough that we can weep as well with them. And so doing, we're going to get over ourselves and we'll discover the cross is not far behind. And again, now that might ask the question, how do we know what the difference is between just simply charity or doing something good and really bearing the cross? Well, I would say that it, it moves into carrying the cross when we finally realize that it's bigger than we can handle. That what we're dealing with is an internal struggle or forces that are cosmically so big, we, we cannot handle them alone. And in that, then, we open our hearts to prayer and discover that the one who has called us to pick up our cross is finally the one. The Savior, the one who has already died and has already risen and carries our cross with us and finally for us. Amen.